It's a phrase we all know, but its meaning is something we all search for. So we search. And every day, we're bombarded with portraits of lesser identities that skew the depths of who we really are. Good times that last but only a moment, and religious cliches that leave us unchanged and wanting. Do we have to settle for what this world has to offer? Or could there be something more compelling that leads us to the good life? Okay, more compelling than a barcode. What do you mean by that, Adrian? Good question. Got my potato with me here this morning in advance of Thanksgiving. Uh, on this potato, you see a barcode. And perhaps you can imagine going through the scanner, going through the cashier line at your local grocery store or wherever you, you shop. And as you have your potato, the gut goes through the cashier's line. What do they do? They scan it, right? They scan it, and it hits this barcode, and it goes from being an unpaid-for potato to a paid-for potato. Okay, the, the idea behind barcode Christianity is this. Adrian is a terrible, wicked, ugly sinner, covered by all kinds of wickedness and sin and filth that we don't have time for this morning. And God takes his divine scanner called Jesus' blood and he takes Adrian through that divine scanner and it goes beep. And then on the other end, it's paid for by Jesus' blood. And so what you have here is a little potato that is unpaid for and then a potato that's paid for but remains unchanged other than the fact that it's paid for. And what you have here is a wicked, terrible, ugly sinner, and now one paid for that becomes a wicked, terribly, ugly, forgiven sinner. And that's the vision of the Christian life that many people have got from a young age, oftentimes from the church of their youth. That Jesus takes our mistakes and our failures and he scans over them by his blood such that we are now forgiven. Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker that says, Christians aren't perfect, they're just... Have you seen that? Have you heard that? Right? Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. It's this idea that we're really not changed, we're just forgiven. And that's it. That's all we should expect. We now cruise on with life. We've got our barcode scanned, and we've been paid for by Jesus' blood, and that's that. Now we eke it out until we get to heaven. Congratulations. Now, where does that come from? I think it comes in part from Jeremiah 17.9, in my opinion, a misreading of Jeremiah 17.9, which says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can even begin to understand it? And behind that, as it's oftentimes taught in churches after churches after churches across centuries, in the American church, Paul, particularly, is the, this idea that you just need to be scanned and you will remain a forgiven but wicked, ugly, terrible sinner. And that's all you can really hope for. And that's it. 
And many, many people have been taught that from their youth, and that's the vision of the good life of Christianity that they've been given. It's barcode sin management. And humbly, if you can't tell yet, I would disagree. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. If you're there in your Bible now, or if not, you can read along with me on screen. It says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your old heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my loss. Hmm. Now, which one is it? Is it that we remain deceitful and wicked beyond cure, and we just have to endure that until we die and go to heaven? Or is it this other view that seems to be stated here in Ezekiel 36 that God cleanses us, but he doesn't just stop there with cleansing us. He also gives us a new heart and puts a new spirit and even moves us to follow him, to keep his decrees and to do what he wants us to do to follow his decrees. I gotta tell you, I think one of those two is much more compelling than the other one. I think one of those two is much more motivating than the other one. In fact, I would dare say that one of those two is quite demotivating compared to the other one. Hear me now. We are not just scanned sinners. We are changed saints. Listen, we're not just scanned sinners. We're changed saints. As I've said many, many times in this room before, you are saints and you are sinners, but mostly you're, you're saints. Okay, I'm going to keep saying this till you can say it out loud with me, all right? I'm just going to keep saying it in this room over and over again. We're saints and we're sinners, but mostly we're Thank you, venue. I heard you loud and clear. Okay, we're, we're saints and we're sinners, but mostly we're saints. Mostly we're saints. Because God's given us a new heart and he's put a new spirit in us. What Ezekiel 36 is saying is, is this beautiful prophecy it's this prophecy of what's going to come when Jesus embodies the earth, when he incarnates the, this earth, and he comes down from heaven to earth, and it's this prophecy of what he's going to bring about. And when he came the first time, what he did was this. He fulfilled this new covenant promise that was spoken to the old covenant people back in the Old Testament in which God is saying to the old covenant people way back in Ezekiel's day that yes, God is with you, but God's going to be with you in a new and different and better manner in the future. That when Jesus comes, it's not just that you're going to be forgiven. It's not just that God's going to be with you kind of somewhere, but he's going to be in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be in you. He's going to change your heart. He's going to move you to follow his decrees. This is a statement of prophecy from the Old Testament that spoke about a new covenant reality that would be ours once Jesus died for our sins and rose again for our justification, and for sure he has. So I want to point out three ways that the new covenant speaks to this regeneration change in us. This is so dope from these passages. You've got to read this. It's so good. Watch this. Regeneration, number one, it cleanses us. 
Regeneration cleanses us. This is where it begins. Jesus comes and he sprinkles clean water on us such that we would be clean. And the word for initial change from sinner to saint is regeneration. Friends, nobody's born a Christian. Amen? Amen. Nobody's born a Christian. You become a Christian as you're regenerated, as you are converted from your old way of thinking to a new way of thinking. As you repent and you turn toward Christ, then you are regenerated and you are cleansed from old impurities and old idols. So, you turn from your Buddhism or your atheism or your agnosticism or your materialism, or your racism, or your nationalism, or your gospel of I'm going to do my own thingism, to genuine Christianity, and when you repent, he cleanses you from first to last. He removes all of your idols from you, he removes all of your impurities from you, he sprinkles you with clean water, and yes, to be sure, you are scanned, you are paid for in that moment. And so, It's simple as this. I I don't know who you are watching online today. I don't know who you are in the venue or in the auditorium. Maybe you've never heard this, so I just got to break it down. It's as simple as this. You admit it's true, God, I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. You admit it. A, admit. B, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And C, confess with your mouth that God rose him from the dead and you intend to follow him. That simple, admit, believe, confess. And if you do that in a genuine, contrite way today, he will cleanse you from first to last. And the word here is it says, he'll cleanse us from first to last. You see it in this next passage, in, this, in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from what? from all your impurities, and from all your idols. I would write down on the side of my Bible, if I were you taking notes in your paper Bible right now, I would write down cleanses. This is the first thing that Jesus does for us in the new covenant. He comes in and he cleanses us. He cleanses us from all of our idols and all of our impurities. And each of us have different ones. Whatever it might be for you, you keep short accounts with God, It's not a one-time thing. You keep coming back to God, I'm angry. I'm impatient. I'm selfish. I'm uncharitable. I'm quarrelsome. I'm lustful. I'm envious. I'm greedy. I'm apathetic. I'm gluttonous. And you go down through your list on a regular basis and you admit those to God and he forgives you, he cleanses you, he sprinkles clean water on you, but he doesn't stop there, okay? He doesn't stop there. His grace comes down to the lowest places in our lives. This is the nature of grace. It's like water. It comes down to the lowest places, okay? But it doesn't stop with you. Grace extends to others as well. And your areas are different than other people's areas. And grace comes down to each of us as we turn toward Christ, And from there, it doesn't just stop with cleansing, then it goes on to another step of regeneration. New birth, regeneration means new birth. And regeneration not only cleanses us, it also changes our core. It cleanses us and then it goes on to change our core. The great Reformation leader, 
by the name of Martin Luther hung really strong to this idea of Jeremiah 17.9, that the heart remains desperately wicked and beyond cure. Who can even understand it? And he developed this very famous now word picture to describe the human heart. And he said, before we came to Christ, our human heart was dung. And then he said, after we came to Christ, after regeneration, our human heart became snow-covered dung. Happy Sunday. Don't you feel so warm and fuzzy inside, you snow-covered dungs? Okay, like, is that all you are? Is that all you are? Just snow-covered poop. No. It goes deeper than that. Yeah, he cleanses you. He washes you. And you might say, who are you, Adrian, to disagree with a towering reformer and great theologian like Martin Luther? And you're right, who am I? But here's what the scriptures say. It says it goes further. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. The way we put it on your outline is he changes our very core. Regeneration changes our core. He gives us a new heart that pulsates with what he wants done in the world, a new heart that pulsates with his spirit. He actually deposits into you his Holy Spirit who is always and everywhere present with every believer that you ever meet all across this entire world. Isn't that amazing? That's just, I told you this is dope. Like all across this entire world, he puts his Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus as Lord, it's not the little Jesus comes to live in your heart, no. It's that Jesus gives his Holy Spirit to literally dwell in you. He gives you a new heart and a new spirit as he takes from you your heart of stone, which enables the possibility of a truly good life. God changes you and me at the core. You see, Jeremiah 17.9 is speaking to our condition prior to regeneration. It's our pre-regeneration state. But then God comes in and he cleanses us and he changes our core. I think a better analogy than snow-covered dung is this. It's like you have two engines underneath the hood of your car now. Okay, I have a really old, ugly, 1976 Ford Pinto engine under the hood of my chest. Okay? And amazingly, it still works. It's the only 1976 Ford still in operation. Pinto, anyway. Pinto. It's still in operation. It still works. It's rusted out. It's a four-cylinder. It's got almost no power in it whatsoever. But amazingly, for some reason, I still go back to that old engine sometimes. And I sometimes still like that old engine. I sometimes still want to use that old engine with all the ugly stuff that I did with that old engine. And for some reason, there's this war that continues to go on in me. If you wonder what that war looks like, read Romans 7. There's this war that continues to go on me that sometimes I want to go back to the old man that is operating under the old engine. But thanks be to God, when I was converted to Jesus Christ, he gave me a V8 Hemi in this chest cavity. There's a new V8 Hemi in here. And the more I rely on that V8 Hemi, the more I get used to using it, the more I operate with its power, the stronger I get, the more like Christ I get 
the more I am conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, the more joyous and peaceful and hopeful is my life. But it takes practice using the new heart that God has given to us. Now, no analogy is perfect, and I'm sure that analogy breaks down. But I think there's this war going on underneath our chest between the old heart and the new heart which God has given us. And the new heart, the new engine, is so powerful that it changes our core and amazingly, it changes even our desires. Regeneration cleanses us. Regeneration changes our core. And slowly but surely, regeneration changes even our desires. Look at verse 27. Changes even our desires. I will put my spirit with a capital S. My Holy Spirit is going to live in you. I will never leave you or forsake you, the Bible says again and again and again. I will never leave you or forsake you. I put my spirit in you, and I will move you. Mm. I'll compel you. I'll fuel you. I'll give you different desires. I will thrust you forward such that you now want to follow my decrees and to keep my laws. You see, it changes, regeneration changes, I would write in the margin of my Bible, our desires. It changes our core, it cleanses us, and it changes even our desires. Can you think of ways that God has changed your desires? That one day you had no desire whatsoever to follow his law, but now you do? That there are elements of his law that kind of repelled you. You say, how am I going to possibly do that? I have no strength to do that, and now you do have strength to do that. That's because when Jesus came in and he regenerated you, he changed your ability not to sin. At one time, you had no ability not to sin. At one time, you could only sin. Now you have an ability not to sin. I'll give you a couple examples. Fifteen years ago, when I was a young Christian, Mostly what I cared about was winning arguments, showing how smart I am, boasting out my chest and being prideful, being the most competitive guy on the basketball court, even though I was getting old. Why? Fifteen years ago, I cared about my pride. I cared about having the biggest church because what it say about me. Today, I don't care about those things, mostly. I'm not all the way there, but mostly I realize that this Christian life is not about winning arguments. This Christian life is not about showing how great you are. It's about may Jesus increase, may I decrease. May you be exalted, may I become less. It's not about having the biggest, baddest church. It's about having a Jesus-centered church. And that's what I'm about. I'm not there yet, but Jesus has changed my desires. He's moved me to follow his decrees and to be more careful to keep his laws. He doesn't want us to just be scanned sinners. He wants us to be changed saints. I've been working with a wonderful woman in this church on this very subject over the past few months. Listen to what she recently wrote to me, and I share it with you with her permission and, of course, anonymously. She recently wrote to me, I feel a deep breath of freedom here now. 
I don't feel a sense of lingering shame here anymore from the stuff of my childhood because I think I finally understand what God means regarding how he actually regenerates our hearts. When I walk around in this world, I am not primarily the girl who shamefully allowed herself to be used over and over for sexual purposes, all for the sake of ensuring that a friend would stay interested in being her friend. I am worth more than my sexuality. I am not my sin. I am not what happened to me. I am a restored, actually restored child of God. I can have confidence about my new identity without continuing to wallow in the muck of my old identity. I don't need to feel unclean because I'm no longer unclean. And there is new freedom from shame here because I brought a friend from this church deeply into this part of my life and I feel loved by her through it. She didn't run away from me. She loved me. She affirmed me and she wants to keep going with me. Amen is right. She's not not snow covered dung. She's not her previous shame. She's way more than that. She's way bigger than that. She's got a new heart and new desires that are moving toward Christ's abundance. Love the way James Bryan Smith puts it in his wonderful book, The Good and Beautiful God. He writes, when I hear a Christian say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I want to say to that person, that makes as much sense as a butterfly saying, I'm just a worm with wings. Okay, we're talking here again about proper identity. It begins with a proper sense of my self-identity, who I am now as a regenerated person in Christ. I was listening to an interview with the author and pastor, Tim Keller, who's recently retired from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, one of the most influential evangelical pastors in America, tremendously brilliant man, written many really wonderful books. And he was asked this question, if you had it all to do over again, Pastor Keller, what would you do differently? He's now retired from the pastorate after many, many faithful years of service. If you had it all to do over again, what would you do differently, Pastor Keller? He said this, if I had it all to do over again, I'd frame everything around identity. Because when we understand who we are at the very core, that we are actually children of God, then there's no need to live out of insecurity anymore. There's no need to prop ourselves up in pride anymore when we realize that we are children of God and ultimately victors in Jesus Christ. We don't need to hold on to our pride anymore to show ourselves better than other people. We don't need to live in envy or covetousness or insecurity or any of those kinds of things because we understand we've been given a new heart and a new spirit and we've been regenerated and we've been cleansed and we really are children of God and he really is changing us and he's redirecting our focus more and more toward him and he's not done with us yet and we just focus our attention on that and the thing about considering yourself as just a worm with wings or just snow-covered dung is this you're not likely to love yourself the bible says you are to love others as you love yourself and you should love what god has made God did a great job making you. And you can give thanks for the way he made you, even though you're still in process, just like I am still in process. So the question here is, how do we train our minds? How do we train our minds to live more and more into the new identity that we've been given in Christ Jesus? And I'd like to give you a practice for that. It's really, really simple. 
It's a practice called breath prayers. And part of the goal of the Christian life is this. We want to focus our mind, focus our attention on God for increasing amounts of time and increasingly frequent amounts of time, more frequency and duration throughout the day, each and every day. Because as we do that, we are changed by him. One of the main reasons for prayer is not just to ask God for things, it's to commune with God, to enjoy God, to dwell with him, to see him as friend and savior and king and even our lover, the one who loves us most, more than anyone else. I hold this ring on my finger that says, I am my beloved's and he is mine in Hebrew. As a reminder for me, I am the beloved of God. It comes directly from the Song of Songs. I am the beloved of God. I love the way King David puts it in Psalm 18. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. Notice the correlation there. I keep my eyes always on God. I'm not shaken. My heart is glad. My eyes on God, I'm stable. My heart is glad. The Apostle Paul says the same thing over in 2 Corinthians. He says, we all who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we contemplate the Lord's glory and we're transformed into the image of Christ, into the image of his glory with ever-increasing glory as we contemplate him. So the question is, how do we do that? And here's the simple practice that I want to recommend for this week, and perhaps one or two of these practices that we're going through in the Good Life series will begin to stick with you over the long haul. The practice is very simple. I want to encourage you to pray Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, while you wash your hands this week. Okay, you washing your hands about 42 times a day these days? you got lots of time for prayer. Okay, it's really, really simple. You don't have to memorize Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. It wouldn't hurt. It's a great passage to to memorize. But the wonderful thing about this passage and so many others is you can pray the concepts of this passage in a very simple way, and we actually can do two things at once, especially something that doesn't require much cognitive skill like washing our hands. And so you wash your hands, and instead of singing the ABCs as you go through your 20 seconds, you can say something like this. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, cleanse me. Lord Jesus Christ, please cleanse me. You might say it four or five times. Lord Jesus Christ, please cleanse me from all my impurities. Lord Jesus Christ, would you change my core? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for changing my core. Thank you, Jesus, you've given me a new heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you put your spirit in me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll never leave me or forsake me. And and you might pray a breath prayer like that just for the purpose of communing with God a hundred times a day. Seriously, I pray prayers like that a hundred times a day. I stop. I do something else. Sometimes I'm in a counseling session. And as I'm in the counseling session, I say, Lord Jesus Christ, grant me your wisdom. I don't got it. Grant me your wisdom. Lord Jesus Christ, please grant me your wisdom. And you just pray through that as you're washing your hands. And the beautiful thing about it is 
the word of God here speaks to the very thing that we're doing, so it'll get into our brains and into our hearts. I sprinkle you with clean water and you'll be clean. And little bit by little bit, God begins to change our minds as we contemplate him more. You see, what God wants is to have thousands of people walking around Kearney whose minds have been transformed, who think like Christ would think, who pray like Christ, who believe like Christ, who operate toward their neighbors and their co-workers and their family members like Christ, who are solid and stable in the storms of life like Christ, who have gladness in their hearts because they're contemplating the Lord's glory like Christ. God wants far more than simply to scan your sins and have you wait till heaven. He wants the abundance of Jesus for you starting today. He would cleanse us. He would change our core. He would begin to change even the desires of our hearts such that we would grow in abundance. The compelling life, the most compelling life, is living with Jesus. It's enjoying Jesus. And in his presence is fullness of joy, life forevermore. Father, we're asking for this. We're asking for this. We're asking not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to become more like Christ. And so, Father, our heart's deepest longing is to enjoy Jesus even today, even this week. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to make some time, perhaps even redeem the time while we're washing hands this week, something as simple as that, to look to you, to pray, to contemplate your glory, to consider the incredible gifts that you give to us, that you would cleanse us, that you would change our core, that you change even our desires. Lord, we don't want to see ourselves this week as merely sinners. That's too low. We want to see ourselves as changed saints who are being conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ. And we'll be careful to give you all credit, God. Humble us this week. Make us like you. Show us that we are who you say we are. We are who you say we are. We want to sing of that now, God. Please accept our worship, we ask in Jesus' name.